see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got yeah, guy. What's up, Scott? Yeah, guy. Welcome, yeah, guy. Yeah, David. What's up, dude? You're dying to get the mics on. <laughs> Absolutely dying. Uh, I just need. I need to laugh today. I need to laugh out loud. I've been kind of bummed out. I know. Well, you came in here. It seems like laughing at everything. You might just be at the slap happy phase. I was first. I was laughing at your beard or that attempt to grow a beard that you've got going on. I know you're not into it. Well, I don't. I don't really carry the way. But when I noticed it, I'm like, oh, he didn't shave. He's like me. He didn't shave today because I kind of came in scraggle faced. Yeah. I'm like, oh, he didn't shave. Then I realized he's attempting to grow a beard. I think I've been attempting hard, dude, for like a month. Why the? Why don't you um, trim the neckline though? Because it does look. Yeah. That's a problem. Like it would look tighter if you trim the. At least in my opinion, not that I'm a beardsmith or anything. But I'm, I'm going for the Abe Lincoln. I'm actually only growing the neck beard. I'm going to shave the cheeks and jawline. <laughs> so it's pure neck beard like Shane Beshin back in the 90s. Well, your mustache is nice and full. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, so go just straight stash then. I, you know, I, I really do what you like. I, either way, I'm going to laugh at it. So it doesn't <laughs> really matter. Well, I'm a little sensitive about it because I do feel like I've got some patchy growth. You know, like it doesn't. Fool yeah. Yeah. But what are you going to do? Well, the thing to do, right, is to shave it and then let it come back. It'll come back fuller the more you... Oh, is that is that science? I, that's a, that's, <laughs> I from, that's that... coming from a beardsmith, an acknowledged known beardsmith. I thought that was what your mom would say to you when you were 16 trying to grow a mustache. And she was just like, ooh, no, that's awful. Shave it. It'll come back thicker. I had the most hideous teenage mustache thing. You know how when you're... Well, at least when I was a teenager, I'm like, oh, my God, I could grow a stash. So you do mm-hmm. because you can and uh, it was it was not fulfilling. Yeah. Well, um, I'm a little sensitive about it, and you've tapped into some of my insecurities. So thanks oh, a lot. I dude. apologize. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, but the feedback's been good. Like as I've felt insecure about it, somebody will say something nice, and then I'm like, well, I guess I better keep it around for another week. But now that might t- that might have just deferred you, all of my momentum that I had going. Uh, well, publicly look, too. Thanks. I apologize. It's uh, Monday. August 15th. Tuesday. Tuesday. August 15th. It's a Tuesday, ladies and gentlemen. And thank God for Beach Grit. Because <laughs> the stuff that Chaz Smith writes just cracks me up. Oh, I'm excited. I'm not sure what it is you're talking about. Before we get fully into the meat and potatoes of the show, do we want to do some follow-up stuff real sure, quick? Listener yeah. stuff? Or do you yeah. have no, no, a Beach ahead. Grit thing you want to go for? No, no, go ahead. Um, so... Real quickly, I don't want people to think that I'm insensitive. Do you want me? Do you want to discuss why you're down today? Is there anything? Oh, you no. you came in saying that you need some levity. Well, yeah, I mean, really, it's that whole Charlottesville thing's been kind of bumming me out. Crazy, right? It's really been, um, you know, it's just it's kind of it, you know, it's gotten to a whole another level. I think where it's just like, holy shit, man, you know. Well, you there's know, some, there's some hate-filled people around here. You know what's disturbing to me is, um, like, obviously what happened was awful, but now all of the vitriol that's going back at it, like, there's so much hatred 
now an unacceptance in both sides of the equation in both ways. Yeah. And like I saw people they, they, tearing down a Confederate statue and like kicking the crap out of the steel. And I'm like, dude, you're only going to hurt your toe, you know? And like, that's not I actually know. doing anything. It just makes that side of the equation look as bad as it the does. other side of the yeah, equation. You you're, guys, you're not sure who, if you took it out of context and you didn't know what the statue stood for, you wouldn't know if that was alt right or alt left or you exactly. know, any alt. Yeah, it was By just... By the way, the only good alt is Carol Alt. Oh, okay. Boom. Yeah. People are Googling that right now. I'm Googling it right is now. Is that a person? Yeah. Is that a guy or a girl? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's find out. I'm, I hope I made sense of... Let's see. Carol Alt. Oh, she's a gorgeous supermodel. How did you even know her name? <laughs> Dude. It just come was... Come on. What do you... Packed in the recesses you of your brain? I can't spit out like the simplest of your terms. Your email address. <laughs> yeah, I can't spit out my email address. Or my Instagram account, but I just, Carol Art just going, boom, just came out. Well, because she's a supermodel, maybe. That's how that, was, that got filed in your brain. That's Right now, that's a fitting bumper sticker. The only good alt is Carol Alt. Her publicist should be on that. I fully am taking credit for it right now. Like well, I'm kind of proud of that. We solve the WSL's problems. We solve Carol Alt's problems, marketing problems. We're here to solve problems, dude. Yes, we are. Man. Um, so yeah, the, the Charlottesville thing, Trump's response or lack of, of a response to it, all that stuff's just bumming me out. Yeah. The whole, you know, I don't like, no one wants to listen to the, listen to us talk about politics. They really don't. That's no. not why they're tuning in or listening to our podcast. So we should sw- move away from that. Other than just answer your question, I, I'm, I've just been a little bit down because of that stuff. Yeah. Know? So anyway, let's talk back fun stuff. Yeah, back to surfing, huh? You had some um, follow-up? Well, I've just got a couple of emails from people, um, comments on the website, stuff like that. So I'll pitch them at you. You tell me your thoughts. Remember we had, um, what's it called, uh, Fat Aki give us his list yes. of top competitive moments Love last year? that guy. Well, Skinny Aki decided to chime in. Is there a Skinny Aki? <laughs> there is he a Skinny Aki. better be as clever. Hopefully it's the same guy. You know what? Not as clever, I would say. Sorry, Skinny Aki, but still a salient point. Where does that- he chime in? Where do you get these? Are you getting emails that I don't get? Is he on Surf Splendor's podcast and that's where he's chiming in in the commentary? These or? were both on surfsplendorpodcast.com's comment section. Okay. Uh, which, by the way, spitpodcast.com also has a comment section yeah. for anybody who wants to chime in on and this For show. the record, I've not putting this uh, our Spit Podcast on the boardroom show any longer. If I do, it's a direct link. It's not like you can be on my site listening to the show. As of today? Yes. As of this episode. As of this episode, yeah. everything is on Spit Podcast feed. Spit Podcast feed so that, so. We can, so that the site can grow and be robust and we can see the commentary and all that. And I've actually... Um, implemented the discus uh comment section that you see on beach grit and on um stab and a lot of other popular websites so it's a lot easier to navigate and once you actually create that account with discus you can um it's really super easy to use you can leave comments on any platform and then uh, link it to social media the comments actually nest which makes it really easy to follow so you can reply to somebody's and then reply to the reply and it just accordions open it makes it very easy to track yeah whereas everything that was on surf splendor's website previously was like super difficult and you get lost it was almost not worth using so spitpodcast.com leave comments we got this one from skinny Aki. he says you guys ever discuss the dichotomy of never having so much available surfing content 
that it's not only like drinking out of a fire hose and becoming boring, but at the same time, because of the format, it's so fleeting that when you could hold a magazine in your hand and study the picks over and over again, it also feels like there's a lack of true tangibility qual tangible quality content. And instead it's just a never ending parade of five second flashes. And then they are gone. I'm old, but to me, the whole catering of traditional and managed quote unquote surf media uh, to social self-directed media seems like something to dissect. Well, Skinny Aki, the, the main thing from his commentary is that he's old. And <laughs> that's what that is. That's an old person talking right there. And frankly, I'm... So I'm, you can relate? I can relate. But <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is, if that was my son, or maybe perhaps you, who's a bit younger... Um, that's all they know. They don't even know the whole can't wait till Surfer Magazine arrives in my mailbox yeah. thing. And so Skinny Aki, you know, I, I think a lot of the points he makes are great. The, the concept of a managed, curated surf content, the, the concept that we get so much, it's like a fire hose, and it all just means nothing. Well, I agree with you. It's a reflection of age, but I do think there's a more – with age comes wisdom, and I think that there's actually a wiser – um, sentiment to this, and that is you could probably name the, and describe with great detail the surf images that you hung on your bedroom wall when you were a kid. Yes, exactly. They were so important to you and impactful. Yeah. Farrah Fawcett majors. Kara Alt. <laughs> Carol. Carol Carol Alt. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, what was the last iconic surf photo that you can think of? Um, well, it's probably image just the kind. one that comes to mind is Survey's image of of uh, Tom Curran doing that cutback. Exactly. So um, I'm think so to his point, the ones that you've seen now, even though they're better airs, better everything, better lighting, better technical equipment that it was shot on, they had make no impact. Yes. They're impactless. Interesting. It is interesting. So I think that the point that Skinny Aki maybe is trying to make, or one that I've thought about in the past is like, I think there's an element of just intentionality intention that, make that resonates like the amount of effort that surveys had to go through to get that shot was a lot more significant than the guy shooting something on his iphone and then getting it into the magazine the magazine laying it out them spending money and sending it to your house you anticipating all of that intention culminates to kind of a you know a point where the volcano just like erupts and makes it impactful in your life Whereas now things are done kind of flippantly and then because of that, they're transient. Not just because of the fire hose and it's all coming at us, but also because of the way that it's created. Yes. Agreed. So, well put. So what do you think, man? How do, what's the, how do we solve it? Well, look, you can subscribe to the Surfer's Journal if you want that sort of more curated thing. Um, Have you read a magazine in a while? No. I, I don't. So, I don't even read. I don't. You know. I. I, I mean. I'll, I'll read the New York Times. I'll read. Um, you know, the Economist. Um, I'll read random things online from Deadspin. Yeah. You know, super funny things. You know. Um, and I'll read books. Yeah. But I am becoming a part of this culture. Right. You know. I think both things have relevance. Unfortunately, I'm not making as much time for that long form version anymore, but I, I grabbed a surfer's journal at work the other day 
I was like, I'm going to actually read this thing cover to cover. Were you on a break? <laughs> no, actually, I read Good it God, while buddy. I'm on the job. That's oh. what, <laughs> no, well, it's, it's research. <laughs> exactly. So, but no, the point is, I actually didn't read it. And I, I, it's been sitting on my desk for I'd say five days now. And my intention was cover to cover at least once to say like I've done my due diligence before I write this thing off. Everybody says this is what I should be reading, and I have read it over the years, but. Uh, cherry picking articles that would be interesting to me, right? So this time I was like, I want to like give it its fair due of like all this effort went into it. I want to read it cover to cover. Five days later, still sitting there. Yeah, you know, part of it is there's so much that goes into this conversation. You know, um, one of the things I did notice is that I was looking for musty moments a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. and I came across a new Mickey Wright edit. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Hoot. Mikey, or, Mikey Wright. Uh, Root. Root. Yeah, Root. I didn't even watch it because in my mind's eye, I knew what I was going to see. I was wow. going to see Mikey Wright doing big, powerful airs, yeah. big, powerful gouging top turns, flipping his hair around. Mullet. I knew in my mind's eye what the video was. I was like, I don't even need to see this. I know what it's going to be. Like I had seen so much of this type of content that I was like, yeah. guess what? He's going to be doing a bunch of rad airs in Western Oz. I don't even need to watch it. And I moved on. It's interesting. I wonder how much, whether that says more about you or Mikey Wright uh, and the be, surf media, you know, be a lot of my impatience with it, you know? Yeah. And what I'm looking for and what I relate to, I don't necessarily relate to that in my surfing. So I'm kind of like, all right. Yeah. Maybe that's part of it. And that's that's a good observation. I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. Because I, I think that to using your kids as an analogy of kind of the younger generation, they see a tremendous amount of difference between Mikey Wright's edit and uh, whoever else's, you know, Jay Davies edit. And so yeah. to him, it's not all the same to him. It's like, no, this is completely different yeah. to you. And I, it feels kind of homogeneous or homogeneous or what's homogenous, homogenous, homogenous. Yeah. Like, okay. Big, powerful, regular foot's going to bust airs in Western Oz. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and I, I, and, and I think more importantly is that I can see, I know I can see it. Like I almost don't need to watch it because I've seen it so many times that I'm like, okay, I know what I'm going to see. Like don't waste my it, time. So the flip side of the argument I just made is actually you might be more sophisticated than I'm giving you credit for. Like a doctor, you go in, the reason why a doctor spends so little time with you, I mean, maybe I shouldn't make that statement, but sometimes the reason why a doctor comes into the waiting room, looks at you, you give him three sentences and he goes, oh, it's this, this, or that. I'll figure it out for you. I'll go and run a test or whatever. It's because he's seen it a million times before. He doesn't need to hear your life story to assess the problem. Right. He can hear, you know, so, or, so that could be what you're doing is you've seen so much surfing in all of its iterations that now it's like, well, there's very little that's going to surprise me here. And I will tell you, I did watch that edit and, uh, I'm a fan of Mikey, Wright. I'm a fan of the whole thing, his whole like program. It was underwhelming. It's gotten to the point where I feel I know this is a tangent, but uh, his kind of like persona, this rock and roll, Matt Hoy 2.0 persona with the Bogan mullet, black and white, rock and roll, like screaming at the camera. It's kind of boring. Well, I think that it was sincere. And (laughs) then Quicksilver was like, hey, this is actually getting traction online. Let's now put all of our weight behind it and let's do an edit and let's make this rock and roll decal form and front traction pad and all that stuff and make it black and white and give him like an old 
uh, Ford Fairlane to like do a burnout in in the edit and stuff like that. So it was cliche. It felt so contrived, and yeah. I. But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, Mikey actually was that guy like two years ago on kind of a toned down level. I think now it's ramped up because of Quicksilver and their their idea of what they could mo- like market and monetize and would get traction in the market. And and they probably will get traction, but it's so boring. And then, then that makes me think, well, I'm just coming from a from that place of an older surf enthusiast that's like, okay, I, you know, I was excited about that when it was Rabbit Bartholomew in a Quicksilver ad with Bruce Raymond or whoever in Kong yeah. going, you know, if you can't rock and roll, don't fucking come. Yeah. And that was like, I don't know, that was probably 1981 or something, right. you know. So, and how old was I then? 16. So I get it. You know, when I'm a 16, I'm like, yeah, that is so cool. And so there's some 16-year-old that's stoked on Mikey Wright doing the same thing. He doesn't remember what I remember. And so is it a, you know, is it part of that I'm just old? Probably a lot uh, I think, older. I think the surfing speaks for itself. The way that it's packaged maybe is how you and I, um, where we take umbrage with it. Like he, he was at I don't the necessarily US... take umbrage. I'm just not. Doesn't resonate. Yeah. He was at the U.S. Open and um, he had root stickers made up. This was before the edit came out. He's They created an Instagram account root. They have stickers. Uh-huh. They're slapping stickers all around uh-huh. on business signs and stuff. And I'm thinking they're doing this kind of guerrilla marketing campaign for a four-minute edit that's coming out on YouTube, this feels very, very manufactured and contrived. That's fascinating, too, that the marketing department's, you know, at that level, which I'm sure they all are, which makes tons of sense, but it's like, hey, man. Just just think what the CFO, the CFO is so stoked. He's like, God, our marketing budget, we just got to cut it in half because all we have to do is these stupid little edits. We don't have to spend half a million dollars on some Taylor Steele production anymore. Right. Know? No, I, I think that is true, but I don't think it's going to get the traction they're hoping. Like, Or it's not going to move. It's not going to break the internet in the way that Dane Reynolds does, where it's completely organic, where there's no advertising in advance. Just one day you get on the computer and it's like, bang, Dane Reynolds has a 36-minute edit out, and we all push back all of our meetings and sit there and watch 36 minutes. And then we all comment collectively on it. We take to Instagram, we take to the comment sections and we all share in this experience. So the difference was the organic nature of the Dane Reynolds edit is what you're saying. Like, because you could sense that it was sincere, that there was no yeah. marketing behind it, that it was just truly, Hey, here I am. The sincerity resonated almost more than, that's what it the is. The footage. Yeah. Well, speaking of sincerity, I got a question for you. Okay. Do you remember when they opened the Kelly Slater Wave Pool, the Wave Company, and they did that first drop, and there was this sort of organic-looking clip of, and they even, I believe they even stated, here's watch Kelly Slater's reaction to the first time he saw a wave at Kelly Slater Wave Pool in Lemoore, California. So my question to you is, do you recall him being excited? Did you feel like he was putting on a performance for the camera that there was insincerity that not necessarily, maybe not even insincerity, but that because the camera was rolling and he was aware of it, obviously, because it was, you know, was that an insincere moment? Do you think, do you think that, that if you've put eight, 10 years, whatever it is of your life into creating a wave and you're being told, hey, here we go. We're going to show it to you for the first time. We got something special for you. We want to get your reaction. 
Do you think that that was a sincere reaction or do you think that maybe it was sincere, but it was also him being savvy enough that the camera was on him that that it maybe was a bit overdramatic? It felt entirely sincere to me. Yeah. Not manufactured at all. Yeah. I think he's had cameras on him his whole life and so he can act natural with the cameras there regardless. Yeah. And I do think he was genuinely that excited i remember the exact moment you're talking about. i agree with you and 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 i would suggest to you that you and i and everybody else has got a, a full-on bs detector up when something like that goes down and i sense complete sincerity i would be the first one to go oh that was lame that right. was and so i guess my point is he either is a great actor and fooled you and no. i or it seemed very sincere that that was truly the first time he'd seen the wave yeah that he was truly that ecstatic and th- that situation, the, the question of his sincerity came up the other day when oh, I was really? talking to a friend, Yeah, which is why I bring it up. I don't know anybody that would think that it wasn't. Or they were just using it as an example of something yeah. that was. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. I, I think what I've loved about getting to know Kelly through Instagram over the last few years is his sincerity and wearing his heart on his sleeve there's a humanity to him that I didn't know existed when it was all filtered through surf media, through magazines and things like that. When I was growing up, you know, like for him to um, argue with trolls on the internet and to say something about calling sharks and then later regret it and then apologize about it. Like all of those ups and downs, it's like, Oh man, this guy is totally human. Yeah. I know that's, that's the best part. It is totally. And again, sincere. And yeah. that's, again, the appeal of Dane Reynolds, too. You know? Yeah. So. All right. Yeah, tangent. Thanks, Skinny Aki. Leaves us in a void. Skinny Aki. <laughs> keep them coming. Where's Fat Aki? We need Skinny Aki and Fat Aki to get in an Fat MMA o- ring. <laughs> <laughs> Go at it. Fat, they're in different weight divisions. But Fat Aki got his due last show. We don't need to give him more. No, you're right. Come on, Fat. Fat Aki ripped us. And, okay, what if we get Fair to Midland Aki next week? Fair to Midland <laughs> Like medium rare hockey. <laughs> the year 2000 hockey. Yeah. <laughs> Went in like, at 187. I feel like. Fair exactly. to Midland hockey. I feel like medium rare hockey is today's hockey. He's kind of right in the middle right now. You know, he's not super fit, but he's definitely not back in his like sofa days. Um, during the Billabong Pro Tahiti, they were advertising the Auk cast. I saw that. Which. I didn't I didn't dig in any further than the commercials, but I think they're making a very smart move, which is we all have realized in the last year, Aki's a terrible interviewer and the audio podcast platform is not where he thrives. He gets listeners because he's Aki and because he gets Kelly Slater on the podcast. But let's be real. You and I are doing a better job than Aki and interviewing people and just riffing with each other. So what they realized in the pivot they're making is. Let's make it a video thing. Like, let's have him skate, roller skate with Tom Curran <laughs> around a middle school. And they're right. That's infinitely better. But that, again, leaves the door open for us to continue doing what we're doing. Like, it's a, you can't even call that a pop, the awk cast anymore. That's now like the awk vlog. Yeah, exactly. It's a video a vlog. vlog. Yeah. So, good. I'm glad they're making that transition. It'll be better for everybody who's viewing and listening and all of that. But it's not really a podcast anymore. I think Aki's really good when they put him in the booth for a heat or two. I agree. When they just shove him in there and they go, dude, don't worry. You're only in here for one 
like 20 minutes, Agreed. you know, like uh, during a quarterfinal or a semifinal, not during the finals. And he's just loose. And you like somebody, one of his handlers needs to know, you know what? He's, he's ripe right now. We got to get him because mm-hmm. he's ripe. He's right. Re- you know, he's the he's caffeine is settled in. Yeah. Everything's on. <laughs> Let's get him in there. Cause he's, you know, he's, I think the WSL needs that. They need to break up for lack of a better phrase, the monotony of their broadcast team. And it's not their fault. You know, no, we've, no. we've gone into it at length about how difficult it is to stay on the air and stay interesting. But we've learned what Aki's strengths are at this point, you right. know, and that is what it is. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, the inertia, I was going to this beach grit thing. I was reading <laughs> the one thing I just, I kind of enjoy the way Chaz writes. So he's caught, he wrote this thing about the inertia posted something about surfers to blame for genocide, which was, I know I don't even, I'm not even sure I understand what was written, but somebody from the inertia or a contributor for the inertia wrote the complicated history of indigenous knowledge and colonial entanglements in surfing, which is sounds like some undergraduate in a poli sci class or soc yeah. class wrote a paper and decided to post it on the inertia, which is hideously academic and boring. And so <laughs> Chaz writes, should we read some of the select passages? Duh. And he, <laughs> and he goes into reads and, and it's all quite boring. And then, and then he goes, and then he finishes up the passages. And this is from the collegiate, editor or whoever wrote this. In other words, from the very beginning, surfers have been blissfully unaware or perhaps unconcerned that their beloved sport was founded on a history of indigenous erasure in both Hawaii and California. End quote. And Chaz writes, boom! (laughs) (laughs) With an exclamation point. And he writes, how much do you hate yourself right now? Like enough to stop surfing? Like enough to apologize for ever surfing in the first place? Like enough to read the inertia out loud every single morning while apologizing and not surfing to passerby as penance? Which I thought was fascinating. And I just found this this morning when you were setting up the microphones as you do ever so uh, speedily. <laughs> and so anyway, I just that's why I laughed when you said, what are you laughing about? I go, oh my God, oh, this, yeah, yeah, this yeah. one bit's just hilarious. Yeah, it is. Funny. Now, speaking of beach grit, I see that you solved some sort of world problem with the World Surf League and Breitbart alt-right news. Tell us. Please fill me in on what happened because I see that you came to the rescue in some fashion, so I'm fascinated. I do what I can. You've done some great deed for mankind. I don't throw around You better set up this. I will. I will. I just want to say, like, I don't use the word hero lightly. Right. But when appropriate, I'll bust it out. You know, so. you have a glow of a hero right now. It was so minor, actually. Um, you know, Ken Richard Kenvin. Yes. Which uh, that's and we need to take that detour. I don't know enough about Richard Kenvin, and I want to. So I'll let you kind of give me the backstory after I kind of answer your question. But I follow him on social media at Hydrodynamica, and um, he posted an Instagram which was just a screenshot of. Breitbart.com, the homepage, and the banner ad at the top was the WSL's like advertisement to watch the Billabong Tahiti Pro. So Kenvin screenshot posted that and left a comment and was like, you know, the WSL, why are they running ads on Breitbart? Blah, blah, blah. I'm sure that it's just an algorithm. They're paying some 
you is know, this what you're saying? Or no, this is what Kenvin's Instagram comment said oh, okay. on this photo or caption. Yeah. It was like, I'm sure that um, they WSL just has some company that they sells advertising or they yeah. buy advertising yeah. from. And then it goes out on popular websites. And because I've clicked on WSL site, now they're advertising to me through Breitbart's website. However, the WSL should regulate websites that their content gets posted on. Yes. That was Kenvin's caption. Right. Well, the WSL either read his Instagram or maybe he sent it to them and they actually pulled it off of Breitbart's website and he had an email they exchange. They pulled the WSL's advertising? The WSL pulled their advertising off of Breitbart. Oh, okay. So they were getting ads on Breitbart due to an algorithm. They yeah. didn't necessarily no. point to Breitbart and go, we want our advertising on them. No. It's just part of the algorithm. Correct. So then Kenvin had an email exchange with the WSL and they said, hey, we've corrected the situation. They won't be on Breitbart anymore. So Kenvin posted a shot of that email and said, bravo to the WSL for making the correction. And Kenvin deleted the old post. Well, Derek Riley at Stab ran the story Beach Grit, you mean. on I'm sorry. Yeah. Derek Riley at BeachGrit.com ran the story about Kenvin getting the WSL to make a change. Mm -hmm. But Derek Riley got it wrong and said that there was Breitbart advertisements on WSL site. Right. As opposed to the opposite. Okay. So when I read Derek's story, I just shot Derek an email and I was like, hey, dude, you got it backwards. It's kind of a small detail, but it's pretty significant because you're implying that the WSL was advertising Breitbart on their website. They might have an issue with that. So then Derek basically, rather than just going back and editing the original article, Derek decided to post a new article explaining that he had made the mistake and blah, blah, blah. So that's all. I, it was literally, I read the article, saw one line that was incorrect and shot Derek an email and he wrote a new article about it. That's all. It um, seems that I'm kind of reading it here as you talked and it seems that uh, maybe Kenvin and Derek Riley don't see eye to eye on this situation. Um, did you... I mean, I read... What was your summary of Derek Riley's piece about this? Well, so... There's literally four lines of an exchange he had with Kenvin, yeah. and that exchange took place prior to me correcting the issue. I don't know that they don't see eye to eye. I think Kenvin doesn't care if Derek writes an article about it or not. Right. And okay, that was the. I mean, it was probably a direct message on Instagram back and forth. I didn't read into that too much. Yeah. Um. So, if you have thoughts about it. Ask or I'll ask you about Kenvin real quick. I don't. I, I don't know too much about what went down in the article or anything. I just, as I'm reading it here, it seems as this, and maybe I'm, I don't want to get it wrong, but it seems like Derek Riley is saying, "Hey, why not have uh, both sides of the equation?" Like, I guess, I guess it looks like Derek saying. Um, is it okay for Richard Kenvin to be able to have an effect on what uh, the WSL does or doesn't do with its advertising? Look, I think Kenvin just pointed something out to them that they would have liked to have known. Yeah. And so they were grateful for that. I don't think that he like well, especially bullied, bullied light, them into something. No, you know? no. And in light of the horror, the yeah. horror in Charlottesville. Exactly. What, um, what's funny to me is, Kenvin, you're the one who's on Breitbart. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, that's how it came up because they they recognize that he's on. Oh, because you—that's how you saw the WSL yes. ads. You had to be on Breitbart's site. Yeah, but the only reason Kenvin knew that Breitbart had a WSL ad on their site was because right. he was on Breitbart. I right. haven't gone to that website, so I—I yeah. I yeah. wouldn't know that, you yeah. know. And again, that—that that WSL ad wouldn't have popped up for my mom if she went to Breitbart because she doesn't watch the WSL. Right, right. So it was specific to him because he's clicked around, and that's how. Advertising works. Right, right. Um, at any rate, what I wanted to know about Kenvin is people seem to revere him. He has this, uh, seems to have a tremendous reverence for surf history, and he's written about it, and he's done, um, he put out a coffee table book a couple of years ago called Surf Craft, and then he, he had, had an exhibit an at the Mangay Museum in San Diego's Balboa Park. It and I went to that. Yeah, yeah cool. and it's traveled around. I've yeah. seen it elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. So he's done some really good work curating kind of um, the history of surf craft and surfboards. And I know that he's written quite a bit and his stuff's been good. Did he? Is he also a surfboard shaper or was he at some point? What is no, Hydrodynamica? I don't, I don't think he would tell you that he's a surfboard shaper. He's, he, um, he's a guy that knows a hell of a lot about the history of surf craft, you know, where it came from. He's a very opinionated guy. Let me just say this. As a kid growing up as a surfer in San Diego, there were certain guys that you just like, that you, that I, I'll just say me, my experience, that I sort of bow down to. Like, oh my God, that guy's the shit, you know? Richard Kenvin's one of those guys. Um, Joe Roper's one of those guys. You know, there's certain guys that you're just like, you just knew through San Diego surf culture that these guys were the shit. You know, RK won the uh, Stubby's event at Black's, got to go off to... Australia, you know, is a wind and sea guy. There's just a lot of, and and I've surfed with him, and he, obviously he's a great surfer, and um, and he's always been a guy that that I've held in reverence. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, you know, he's he's pretty opinionated. He's kind of he's not necessarily um, the warmest of characters, as far as you know, like somebody you'd want to go have a cup of coffee with or something. You yeah, know? he's. Um, and I don't, you know, he's a little um, perhaps socially awkward. I like Richard. I mean, he's always been nice to me. Yeah. I hope that he likes me. If he does, he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. I don't know. Yeah. He seems to be um, accepting of me. But, um, and he's very, he's very much politically engaged. Yeah. Like if you follow him on Facebook or Insta or whatever, he's, um, he's engaged. You know, like he could almost run for, like it'd be, I sense that he's got such a passion for, changing things and changing the social dynamic that he could run for office perhaps you know yeah, like in San Diego so he he's got a conscience he's 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 driven by his conscience and he'll let you know about it and yeah. so that's why I think he did what he did and you know and as far as he's I don't think he's a shaper I don't think he would identify as right. a shaper but I'm sure he's a guy that shaped a surfboard or two but um he knows a hell of a lot about surfboard design well he's uh, and he's tight with Tomo Daniel Thompson yeah that's right Tomo and um, you know he rode for Caster. He you know he's he was engaged with the Mini Simmons surfboard design and you know he, he's he's very engaged with Bob Simmons and the history of Bob Simmons and John Elwell and the history of how important you know that book Hydrodynamica uh, is. Um, there was there's a whole book I think and I might be just stumbling on facts here but 
and I don't remember the guy's name, but it's like Lord somebody. Right. Lord Stanley, perhaps, I think it is. And he wrote this kind of groundbreaking book on a scientific um, treatise on, you know, how water flows over planing shapes. And and it's my understanding that Bob Simmons took this book to heart and used it as his way of creating, the, you know, sort of those classic Simmons surfboards in the 40s, 30s and 40s. So... Well, that answers my question. I was always wondering what hydrodynamica was and if it was Kenvin's own like proprietary thing that he had started. I didn't realize that there was a book well, if that we bond- Google it right now. I mean, um, I actually well, the thing is, I went to that to his website, Kent Hydrodynamica's website a while back and like tried to study up on it, but I could never quite chase it all the way to the beginning to figure out who had started it, what the whole movement was. Okay, Lindsay Lord was a New right, England naval right. architect with a doctor's degree from Massachusetts, in, so MIT. So that's the um, that's sort of where it all starts with the hydrodynamica thing is is Lindsay Lord's treatise on on how right. water flows over planing surfaces. But I think Kenvin was doing a field or a um, film project. Yes, about it. yes, there has been a film project that's kind of been ongoing for a long time. Right. I guess that's. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I just hadn't seen anything about it for years. And so it's kind of like, I, again, I just wanted to kind of track what was all happening, but he's an interesting dude. I like, I just like characters. I like interesting characters. And to me, he's he's an interesting guy because he also doesn't really, um, self promote, but I did run into him a couple of times. I saw Carl Ekstrom, um, for a couple of different things for a period of like four to six months. And, and he was with Carl some of those times. So I interacted with him and I was like, dude, I would love to like pick your brain on the podcast. And he was like, yeah, maybe we'll do that. And then I'd shoot him an email and like never reply to it. And then I'd see him again and mention it. And he's like, yeah, maybe. So I don't think he's interested. Yeah. But at any rate, that's that. Um, do you have more? Uh, should we um, more well, on that or Billabong Pro Tahiti? Or? Let's talk Billabong Pro Tahiti. Um, more let's, proof. Let's. More proof for my thesis that the waves are the real stars. I knew you were going to say that. Well, don't you think that's the case? It was underwhelming from a surf standpoint? I agree with you completely, yes. So the good is Julian Wilson winning the parody on tour, which is great. The season is wide open. The fact that I still lead you in fantasy surfing rankings, 4866 to 4777. You actually did your bad. (laughs) The bad is that the waves were subpar. It was quite a snooze festival. It wasn't must-watch TV. The ugly is the judges are going to have to address some of these tactics regarding Gabby and the Kolohe situation. And I know that you can dissect that further because I saw that you mentioned it on somewhere on Instagram or, or twi- Twitter. Yeah, Instagram. So that's my short synopsis. Yeah. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And um, we can delve into some of those things. I'll give you my short synopsis. I love that they ran the event in three days. Absolutely. That should be on the good. Agreed. Yes. And I love that they actually advertised in advance that they were going to be running. I Right. Like I texted you prior to the event running and go, hey, looks like this is going to be over by Sunday. Let's meet early next week and do an event recap. We've never been able to do that before. We've never been able to map out our live, right. our lives based on their scheduling because we have to wake up for the dawn patrol and hear and them make the call. why did they do that? Because the forecast was so awful on the back end. Right, which says what? That the waves are the real stars. Right. 
Yeah. Thank you. I'm just going to keep hammering that home until the WSL and gets I'm going to keep getting baited into it. They like, need- <laughs> I was listening like, oh, what is he going to say? What is? Oh, yeah, that's right. They need to trim the amount of surfers on the tour, and they need to yeah. focus on high-quality surf. Everybody else is. Yeah. Everybody in the world of surf is focused on the surgical strike somewhere. Of course. Why the WSL isn't doing that. Well, you know, and the reality is they agree with what we're saying and they would love to be able to plan their lives out too and run the event in three days rather than two weeks. It would save them a tremendous amount of expense and headache. Um, And they can do this. They can by trimming the tour. There's a lot of work to be done up until that point. But this came together, I think, for all of us. I loved being it. They came on on Friday and go, we are running tomorrow for sure. Like, clear your schedule or do what you got to do. We're running tomorrow for sure. And then again on Sunday. So do you agree that. that if the WSL started right now in mid August, that by next March, they could be up and running with a new revamped, better uh, tour where the waves of the real stars, um, you know, whatever the marketing slogan well, is. Could they? Yes, they could. At what cost? And like by pissing off how many people? Who would they piss off besides the, back half of the well dude we'll, you and i will always find something to complain about with the wsl whatever pivot no, they make. I, look i find many things to be to be grateful for i mean i i'm you and i are their biggest yeah. fans yeah yeah you know um i don't think complaining is the right term i think we're constantly trying to smooth the edges off of what could be a great product yeah. <laughs> we're helping them um i don't like the word complain i don't think that's correct i'm trying yeah. to move them forward aggressively like yeah. let's get in the solution yeah, I now, agree. they will piss off some surfers. The well, surfers are the ones that are going to be pissed off. Yeah. And, uh, you know, every um, B. Derbage fan out there is going to be – and guys who are on the bottom end of the tour, all those fans are going to be bummed. Fans of who? Exactly. How, I mean, how Good many point. fans are there of – B. Well, look. Okay, yeah, I yeah, mean, you're of right. Bede, no, you're of right. Bede. Let's just say how many fans are – you know? Yeah. Are you like, oh, killer beads in the semifinals? You, I, that's much must watch. We want to see Gabby and Kolohe and yeah. Julian and come on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I was looking at the tour the other day. If you start with, I believe it's the the round before the round of three, which is what, round five? The round before the round of three. No. The, oh, what? yeah, yeah. Round four is a three-person. Okay. So if you just start with round three, eliminate right. round ones and one and two, one and two yeah. you have how many people in the event? There's 12 heats of yeah, two. That's, that's uh, 24 people. Yeah. So you have 24 people. Let's just go there. Let's just stop it at 24. Right. And I don't. And you can't include any wild cards, any of that crap. Those, if you include them, are in the 24. So I think we do 20 pro surfers, and we have four room, room for four wild cards, injury replacements, whatever they are. Yeah. Um, I agree. Yeah. 24 people. Then you do. Round three, round four, round five semis. You can do it in two days, maybe three days. We need to do it in two days. Can we do it in two days? With that few people, maybe not. Maybe two and a half. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Maybe two. Swell, I'm not sure. Because you're going to track one swell. You're going to surf one swell right. on this new tour. I Look, I'm trying to find a counterpoint because it's good for the podcast, and I can't. You're right. A 20, a 20 surfer world tour would be better. So what that would mean right now, if you eliminated the back half or the back What if you started 12? with round four? How many guys do you got? There's four hearts. You have 12 guys, four heats of three? Four times three, yeah. But then the guys that got, okay, so that you would be good. That. You could do that. That I would be 20, really good. I think 20 allows, uh, like the other, the, the we problem. We need to do this in two days. 
we need here's the problem though is that there's so much uh there's so many variables in surfing where you the best surfers in the world regularly don't win heats so you could find yourself as kelly slater in position 20 for a limited period of time and it would be a shame if he got bumped off tour because he got a couple of bad heats in a row you know like that can happen to anybody that can happen to john john it could happen to gabriel so you need you can't have just 12 because you'll end up losing some of the best surfers in the world. I think you need 20 to have that little bit of grace period for them to kind of have a bad heat here and there for a wave to not come to them when they need it most, you know? That's why you need 20 instead of 12, but not 32 instead of 20. Well, I'm just more concerned with the time frame. How how long is it going to take to run an event? Yeah. And look, it's not going to be perfect. It never is. You ask Rabbit Bartholomew, ask any of these guys that have tried to manage this. There's always going to be, oh, what about this? What about that? And at the end of the day, you know what matters? You and I, fans of the podcast or of of the webcast, which are going to watch two days of one swell pumping. Yeah. That's the overarching, you know, that's the bar. Right. We can't not keep our eyes on the bar. That's it. So whatever happens below that, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. But if we do 12 guys, start with round four, three heats of four, first place goes to the quarters, second and third go to round five. Now we've got, now, how do we replace those guys the next year? Who, how do we fill the ranks with new up-and-coming surfers? Well, the reality is there's a solution to that. I think there could be a lot more dynamic QS-level events that didn't have 400 guys in it. That was like, I got actually a listener email that pitched a concept that was like an all-star kind of event, you know? Um, And maybe that factors into this, maybe it doesn't, but there could be for those kind of guys who have fans like B. Durbich, but not a million Instagram followers, they could be doing something super dynamic with those guys in the QS level or just some other format that we haven't explored yet to highlight them because we still want to watch them just not for the best two days in Tahiti. I'm going to, um, I'm going to riff off the top 12 surfers right now on the tour, just for the sake of this conversation. I've got them. Do you want to see Jordy Smith, John, John Florence, Matt Wilkinson, Owen Wright, Julian Wilson, Adriana DeSouza, Gabe Medina, Joel Parkinson, Philippe Toledo, Connor O'Leary, Chloe Andino, and Mick Fanning. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Would you be bummed? And you're going to be, that Michelle Berez, Frederico Marias, Sebastian Zietz, Joan, Joanne Derue, Connor Coffin, Ace Buck, and Wiggly Donis and Kyle Abelli aren't in it. No. Me either. Not that they're not all worthy. Some of those guys are fun to watch and they might make their way in. But guess what? That's why it's the elite tour. You know, that's yeah. why it's the top 12. And guess what? Surf better. Yeah. If you want to get in it, you know? Right. The, the exciting thing for me is when you know, one of those guys throws a spanner in the works like that does make it exciting. But what's a spanner? I don't even know. I don't know. It's like, um, that's some Australian. I think it's an Australian term. Yeah. Like it's like throwing a wrench in the gears is the equivalent in American. Okay. American lingo. Yeah, we're American, by the way. Let's just keep it American English. Let's keep it right here. Sorry. Metal dance right here. Okay. Don't throw your arms around. Um, so yeah, I agree with you, dude. I'm, 
I'm not going to argue at all. I agree. That's the way to go. 12 guys. Yeah. Two days. Follow the swell. Bang. It's called the elite tour. And then, yeah, the QS gets a little bit more robust. And how we fill out the next year's top 12, um, I'm going to say six of them leave. The bottom six. Bottom four? Bottom four. Let's say the bottom four leave. The top eight stay. Bottom four are replaced with... The top four QS guys. Hmm. And guess what? If you're on the elite tour, you better, and you're not feeling good about it, you better do some QS events. Yeah. And you're going to have your hands full because you're going to be up going up against some red hot surfers. Yeah. Interesting. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let's do it. Okay, sorry, we went on a sidebar there. So the Bilbong Pro TD, Felipe Toledo, still unproven and barreling left-hand reef breaks, dude. Like is Felipe Toledo not in the top 12? Oh, good, he is. Okay. But he lost in round two to Ethan Ewing, who beat him with like an eight-point heat total. Yes. And it's... Felipe, that is a huge question mark over him because he dominates small waves and then he goes to J Bay and dominates overhead right right hand point break with doing acrobatic surfing that we've never seen at J Bay before. So that answered a lot of questions for a lot of people. But still, going into Fiji or um, Tahiti, yeah, going into Tahiti, we had a lo- this one last question mark where he was injured last year when it was a little bit more treacherous. It was low tide in his heat against Idolo. And everybody was like, and then at pipe, he kind of sat on the shoulder and got a score. But like, we've not seen him charge in big, heavy waves yet. And this was an opportunity and this wasn't actually big and heavy. And he still didn't. Or to use Chaz Smith's words, who you let ground to dust. Felipe got ground to dust by Ethan Ewing, you know, like. That's a sad statement. It is. So. Because Ethan Ewing didn't necessarily light it up. Ethan Ewing hasn't won a heat all year. That was the first heat he won and it was with an eight point heat total. So it's a poor reflection of and from the question is who can beat Felipe at certain events, but you can't win a world title without getting barreled in left-handed reflex. Well, if he does, he's going to have to win. He's going to have to have so much points at the top half of the tour because going into pipe this year with this much parity, there's no way. Also, even if he did win a world title, there is an asterisk next to your name. 
Wow. If you do it this way. Right. If you do it without getting barreled at a left-hander. Which leads a little bit of um, potency to my concept of making majors. Mm-hmm. You know, having some of these events being majors, double points, double money. And certainly Chopu would be on that list, I think. For sure. So you and I started this year with a conversation about who we thought would win the world title and also the conversation about Jordy, Kaloe, and Julian, whereas if they don't win a world title now... There was another one. Philippe was in that. I don't think he was, dude. I, I, I know there was four. Really? I thought yeah. it was just... Well, at any rate, who's your pick now? Making an amended guess for a world title... Of those my, three? No, no, no. Out of anybody. Oh. My pick originally was Mick Fanning, mm-hmm. and that turned out to not be a great pick. What was mine? I don't remember what yours was. I was trying to think of it. It might have been Julian. It might have been. I think it was Julian. It might have been John John even. Well, no, because it wasn't the talk, the guys that hadn't that won was a, a world title. Yes. It was the four that haven't won a that world title. That was part of the conversation, yeah. So I think we were, just, we were picking out of four people, and I think it was Jordy, Julian, Kolohe, and Felipe. Maybe it was Felipe. Those are the four that, yeah. Me I'm pretty, too. Yeah, and but, I think I chose Julian, but I don't recall. Well, the conversation, so though. now, go ahead, I'm sorry. The conversation was, who's like, on their last year of being able to win it before things go south. And so Felipe wasn't in that conversation because he's still got a lot of years left ahead of him. Okay. Uh, but at any rate, my question to you right now is, who's your pick for the world title at the end of this year? Out of everybody? Out of everybody. Out of everybody? Who do you got? Knowing what the rankings are, I know you're looking at them right now, so you can use math. No, I wasn't even. I was just looking no, but at you the can. names. You can. You can. Okay, if I'm using math... I don't like to. I can't. Just, I'm not that quick. Want, I wish I was like whatever you want. Okay, who's your gut feeling? My who's gut feeling is John John. Really? Yes. Okay. And he'd be the first to win two in a row in a while, I guess. Maybe make. But I tell you John. what, there's so much parity that's so wide open. Um, well, you're going into lowers. John John's does well at lowers. Julian would be my like one point two. You know, like one B would be Julian. So Julian's sitting in fifth, and that's only based on. I wouldn't have said that before this event. Right. Like the, before last time we spoke, we're like, we wrote Julian off. I'm like, it's over for him. He just done. I know. So my, my thing about Julian. Every time we write somebody off, they do really well, by the way. And Matt, Wilco. Well, people have actually commented that I'm the opposite. Some listener was like, it's the scales effect. He gets behind Matt Banning and then Matt Banning gets injured and falls off to her. He gets behind, uh, I forget who else it's been over the years, but it's like everybody that I champion yes, falls exactly. by the wayside. Yeah. So Jack I should actually, <laughs> exactly. So I really should stop this train of thought because I was going to put all my weight behind one guy right now. Who? Just do it. Jordy. Yeah, that's the to me, that's the conventional wisdom pick. That's the pick that if they do script the WSL, that's who's going to win it is Jordy. I don't think he's very strong at pipe. Yeah, um, it's a question mark. And he's a big guy for lowers. He's so big. He can do the airs and stuff, but lowers is more of a small guy thing. Can I give you my sales pitch? Yes. I don't think it. So he's sitting number one. So for anybody listening, is like, duh, that's an obvious pick, Dave. That's not like a complicated one. But I would argue he's still a dark horse pick, and he's not the highlight surfer on tour. And if you look at last year, you wouldn't even remember that he finished second place. Right. But all of that is the reason why I think that he will win. I think he's poised for the world title. I think he's actually not surfing the best he's ever surfed, but he looks actually more comfortable and more measured than he's ever looked. And I think that we could see a surge in this back half. I think that 
he could win a measured world title this year and then show up next year. And with the confidence that he has from the world title, he could completely blow apart the tour next year. He's light years ahead of nearly everybody on tour when it comes to rail game. You know, hmm. you can argue mix up I don't there know with about him. Light years Dude. ahead of everybody on tour. That's a pretty big statement. Light years. Light years. Like yeah. Mick wishes he was Jordy. Kelly wishes years. he was Jordy. Yes. I'm I don't saying know about it. light years. Although we haven't seen him seen it in a while. He's actually uh look at his history with aerials. He's on par with anybody. As gnarly as Felipe Toledo and John John, his alley oop at North Point last year after that insanely drained drained barrel, his rodeo flip that he did at Macaroni's. 10 years ago, he did backflips in his most recent edit. So his rail game and his aerial game is really, really at the, the top, top level. But he's not actually applying that stuff in his current surf game. And I think the only reason why is an indictment of the judging criteria. It's his safety surfing has allowed him to win bells. It's allowed him to make the semifinals at Chopu and once he gets his world title, he will be able to then kind of use that confidence and shed kind of whatever of the measured quality that he's been applying and then apply the crazy aerials that we've known from him and that crazy rail game and take it to a whole new level next year. And I don't think there's a lot of guys that actually can compete with him on that level. Yeah, it's a safe pick. I mean, it's a. Good, I think you, you bring up a lot of good points, um, especially the thing about next year. I could see what you're saying. Like, if he does scrape one this year, I could see him just being kind of freed yes. of the That's tension. That's what we want to see. You know, and then just going, I've already got one. Here we go. Watch see this, the boys. See old Jordy, dude. Yeah. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if he did not win a world title this year. He does... It's going to be fascinating, actually, probably more so than any of the other guys, to watch how Jordy reacts the last you know, the back half of the tour well, based on pressure. That's, you know, I he's agree. expected to win a world title. It's been a long time. He's been on tour. One, you know, yes. Of those guys, he seems like the one that's got the most, you know, he could go Taj Burrow quick and never win one. If he doesn't win it this year. Well, I guess what I feel is you look at Matt Wilco and he's doing his absolute best surfing and making quarters and semis. You look at, um, John John Florence, he's doing his absolute best surfing and he won an event with that at Margaret, but he's still not making it through certain heats. Jordy's not doing his best surfing. I don't surfing. think John John's doing his best competitive surfing. Maybe not, but he's out there trying his hardest. I feel like Jordy is out there going 70% and he won Bells doing it and he made the semis at Chopu doing it. Like, we didn't see the best from Jordy at Chopu. He's just kind of cruising through events and still making semis and winning hit, uh, events. So I feel like when he actually unlocks that Jordy beast that we've all known and love when we watched Modern Collective and all that old stuff, that's where nobody's going to be able to touch him. He just hasn't hit that yet. I think he could hit it at lowers. He's won lowers before. Well, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at these guys and the parody, as I mentioned at the top of this segment, is pretty fascinating. You know, that how many guys? It looks like there's seven guys. Gabe's at 29,000 points. Jordy Smith is at 37,850. Is Gabe the cutoff? Is Gabe capable of winning a world title if things go really good for him? Like, where's the cutoff? Is Philippe Toledo at number nine with 24,000 points? Could he 
with a radical run, could he win it? Yeah, there's no cutoff yet because somebody could win th- the next three events and then jump, you know? Yeah. So there's no there's no mathematical cutoff yet. Um, I One final thought on Jordy. Yes. There's one other element to him that I haven't seen in the past, which I think primes him for the title, and that is humility. There's a humility that Jordy is showing that I've never seen before. Jordy, I felt like, was always arrogant and because he was unbelievably talented and had everybody throwing everything at him in his post heat interview after his loss at the sem in the semifinals, he was sitting in the channel with Strider and Strider said, um, you know, what do you do from here? And he goes, well, to be honest, I'm just going to look at guys like Kelly and John, John and Gabriel and try to learn more about surfing. Like those are the guys I look to that I want to just get better and, um, learn more. He was talking about backside barrel riding and I was like, holy crap, I've never heard Jordy say that. And he seemed contrite and content, contrite in the loss and content with what he had accomplished. And, well, back to the drawing board. I need to get better because these guys are still beating me. I've never seen Jordy do that before. That's that's so. that's good insight right there. That's really good insight. That that could be the key to it all. Humility. Right yeah. Yeah. Um, by the stuff. way, to answer your question – or just kind of comment on what you said about Julian. Julian is the most technically sound surfer on tour. His technique is phenomenal. I totally agree. I, I think this could be a real, you know, I hope he doesn't just have a horrible, you know, next event. Yeah. Because that could happen. Yeah. But I think the next event, if Julian is like quarters or cent, you know, quarters or better, At I think most. Julian's... Julian will be on his way to good things for the rest of the season. Yeah. You know, if he has an early round nightmare, then that's not going to be good for his mental state. I agree. The mental foible is what we're concerned about with Julian. Yeah. Well, I think with all of them, really, with those four guys, you know. And Chloe's just kind of silently staying in there. Well, I was shocked to see him do as well as he did at Chopu because I don't think it's his best venue. But he looked more tenacious then I've seen him look in a long time. There was that round four heat. I forget who, who was in it. Um, and he quietly just kind of won the heat, you know, like not spectacularly, but through just kind of like keeping his head in the game, he needed a huge score. There was some paddle battle interference, something or another with the other guys. And he just quietly like sat out the back and got his waves. Oh, that was with Connor Coffin and Julian Wilson or no, sorry. Uh, Kalohe. That was with Gabe Medina. Yes. Chloe and Dino, Matt Wilkinson, Wilco and um, and Medina. Gabe like battled it out on the inside, and Chloe was just sitting out the back waiting for the best wave. Those guys were in the lead; he was in third, and then he got the bomb and got like an eight something and ended up winning the heat right. when those guys had all of the focus on them. And so that kind of keeping your head in the game and just doing, hey man, all you need to get through most heats is a couple of eights. Yeah, it's eights or lates, and then. In that end of the event, now you need nines, and that's unfortunately where he couldn't find that ninth gear. But he, him keeping his head in the game that long, said more about Kaloe than we've seen at places other than lowers. You know. Hmm. So, what are you reading? What do you got? No, I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, I was just reading about. I thought you were going to address, if you could now, please address the. Um, which I consider the ugly of the heat, besides the snooze fest that the waves were, was that this, this, first of all, Chaz Smith, again, wrote something really cool 
on I didn't read it on Beach Grit, which is what you and I have been talking about for years because we know Chaz gets all his great ideas from you and I. Completely. Um, which is that Gabby is so good as the as the guy in the black hat, as the guy that we all love to sort of go, oh, not Gab Medina. This is your concept. I'll give you credit on this one. Yeah. And and Chaz basically kind of highlighted that and sort of crystallized that based on sort of that paddling situation that he had with, with Kaloe and Dino. And people have been chiming in all over social media about something needs to be done about the priority situation when the guy with first priority just blocks the guy from second priority from even paddling. Yeah. And some have said, hey, there's some nuance there that you're not seeing. Believe me, the judges are watching it and all this and all that. But um, I think you posted something great, that little clip where it was quite obvious that Gabby had no interest in catching the wave. His interest, his motivation was blocking Chloe from catching the wave. That was very clear. I think I don't know how you couldn't read that and, and, and you know read it any other way than that. I agree completely, and that's why I posted it. Was there's a tracking shot, like a drone tracking shot, um, that shows it so so obviously, and that took me a long time to actually pull that clip from the WSL. It was a huge file, and the reason why it was worth doing was because that aerial view really shows it well that Gabriel with priority sitting in front of Kaloe follows him as he paddles for the wave. Kaloe then backtracks knowing Gabe's going that way as if he's making a move for the wave. So Kaloe backtracks, Gabe stops, backtracks, Kaloe goes forward, Gabe goes forward and doesn't ever once paddle for the wave. Doesn't even look at the wave, just keeps his face looking at Kaloe the whole time. So he essentially is bored as I am. <laughs> You're the worst, dude. You make my job so hard, dude. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Um, go ahead. You were making a great so, point. So, yeah, Scott, if you want to see what's just happened, go to Scott's Instagram at Boardroom Show. <laughs> um, so the point is that, yes, Gabriel is allowed to do that with priority, but he should have lost his priority. It should have got transitioned to Kaloe because he used his paddling to prevent Kaloe from catching a wave. Kaloe appealed to the judges by throwing his arms in the air. The judges did not reverse priority. This was with four minutes left in the heat with Kaloe needing a six point something. And waves, that wave itself could have been a six. There was other waves that came through that could have been sixes as well. So it really did dictate what happened in that event. And Gabriel went on to make the final. So bad call by the judges. Um, there was some mention that Joanne Deru did this taste bucking earlier in the event as well. Did you oh, see I that? Didn't catch that? No. no, but he, but then Gabriel did it to Julian in the right. final as well. Yeah, and it was less egregious, but it was what it, it's it was definitely that. a tactic. I've always been a fan of no priority that let him do these types of things because it makes for good. It's entertaining, and so that was with Julian. There was no priority, so that's why I didn't choose that example. Right, right. But I'm looking at it going. Yes, to your point, it adds drama to the event, and I like that about it. But really, I want to see these guys, actually, the best two rides should win. And this is kind of counterproductive to that. Absolutely the mantra of the WSL and the the web broadcasters and everybody that talks about this is like, the reason we don't have paddle hassling is so we can see guys riding waves. And if that's the case, fine. 
then let's let people ride waves because this is a situation where their competitors are not allowing people to ride waves. So and either one way or the other. But if we want to see people riding waves, we have got to uh, change this this ruling. Or, great, if you're going to use that as your heat strategy and tactic, fantastic. Do it, but now you lost priority. The fact right. that the well, judges I mean. didn't flip priority yeah. is where I'm calling I you know, the just, problem. Just flip priority. Yeah. So a buddy of mine... Eric Kramer, who's a coach now, and he's a San Diego guy, but he was a WSL judge for a decade. Yeah. So he knows the rules in and out, and he stays current with all of it. He's still buddies with Richie Porta, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, chimed in on Instagram, and he goes, hey, don't be too quick to blame the judges. There are multiple interpretations here. Uh, I read this. This is what I read. Right. Yeah. So here's Eric's. He goes. Um, International Surf Services. Yeah. His, yeah. yeah. That's his coaching um, business. So he goes, here are the possibilities. Number one, red with priority, meaning Gabriel, red, Gabriel's red, Chloe was blue. He goes, red with priority blocks blue and loses priority. That's what I'm saying happened. He says, option number two is that blue receives a priority interference because he is just way too close to red with priority. Ooh. Well, I didn't think about that, but I would argue that's a dumb assessment. If you're a judge and that's what you saw happen there, you're wrong. Because Gabriel... Because why would you want to be close to somebody with priority? Well, also, Gabriel wasn't trying to catch any wave. Gabe was sitting there. He was. He yeah. didn't make any move until Kaloe made a move, and Gabriel never looked at the wave. Exactly. Gabriel only tracked Kaloe. Yeah, he was kind of... So I would argue with Eric, hey, dude, if you're a judge and you're seeing option number two as being viable... You shouldn't be a judge anymore because that's not what happened. Just drop the hammer yeah. on Eric. Yeah. And I know, again, Eric's just saying these are possibilities. Right. I know. But so Eric's third possibility is red with priority paddles with blue for the same wave. Red stops paddling. So blue gets priority, but blue continues to paddle for the wave and misses, which, tran- which trans- transfers back the priority to red. Wow. That's pretty interesting. And I'm saying, no, that actually didn't happen either because Red didn't paddle for the wave. Oh, right. So if you saw that happen, then you're also incorrect. Like those options two and three that Eric offered are options in a theoretical scenario. Yeah, like they might have to consider those when they're looking at it on the heat uh, review or the replay. But if after they've done that, they will clearly see that number one was what occurred. In theory, those are applicable. In this situation, clearly that's not what happened. Exactly. So- my, my, um, this, I'm not, again, I hate to jump ahead in the notes, but Gabriel is my kook of the day that, that he is my kook of the day for his paddling kook antics, week. kook of, I mean, kook so many weeks, so really. <laughs> not just this week here. Here's, Everyone loves to hate Gabriel. He's good at it. And he wears the hat. He does. Proudly. He really does. You've been saying it for years. Here's why. Gabriel is the kook is because he's a phenomenal surfer who could win on surfing alone. Yes. He does not need these tactics. It's a waste of his energy. It's a waste of us getting able to being able to see Kaloe surf. And really, if he's truly one of the all time greats, which remains to be seen, by the way, if he truly is, he's going to need to start thinking about legacy and not just the wins he'll amass, but how he will achieve those wins. The greats leave a long legacy. And right now, his legacy is just being the black-hatted surfer on tour. It's not that he's... 
no, no. doing wonderful things in his career and winning based on surfing alone. Well, there that's... will be an asterisk next to his name if he uses tactic to win world titles. Okay, that's that's fascinating. I'm, I like your take. That's a hot take right there. I don't necessarily agree with it completely. Um, granted, he uh, Gabe is the Oakland Raiders of the tour, and this is a good thing. And what what else is really good about him wearing the black hat? Whether he sort of is wrapping his arms around that concept or not, I don't know. But he's to to wear the hat the black hat correctly, you have to be a red hot world class top surfer, which he is, yeah. which is great. Because you need the guy in the black hat to live up to it. And he does that. So that's there's no asterisk right now because, first of all, he's won a world title. He came onto the scene when he was 17 or 18 and and won in San Francisco in massive, chunky beach break where there was no aerials being done. He won going backside, actually. Um, and he's proven himself throughout his, you know, whatever, five or six years on tour uh, that he's great at pipeline. He's great in every scenario, every situation. Um, and it would not surprise me at all if he wins, you know, two or three world titles. And I don't think with an asterisk. And even if he does these things, these things are legal. These things are, or if they're not legal, he's going to get priority taken away from him. They're, they're just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's part of the competitive nature of. He's working within the realms of right within the realm of the rule. So you can't put an asterisk. An asterisk is if he gets caught with PEDs or, um, you know, he. He like goes Laird Hamilton and cuts somebody's leash with a knife in his heat or something. That was Lance Burkhardt, by the way, Lance, not Laird Hamilton. Same difference. Laird Burkhardt. Uh, you know, so I don't think asterisk. I think that's too strong of a take, um, and I disagree. And believe me, I'm the first one that wants to put an asterisk next to Gabe Medina. Although I'm sort of – I'm just glad that there's somebody that wears the black hat, that embraces the black hat. It's good for the sport. It's, it's there's too many. Hey, there's too much of a love fest on tour. They can't all love each other as much as they say they do. Yeah. Um, and I would say, hey, who who else who who doesn't like Gabe? I think it's pretty clear that Kolohe, Julian, they don't like Gabe. Now I know they would never say that. Yeah. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they live with each other when they come to Trestles. They maybe don't, get- they don't say it. But no, no, no. I think you're right, and they don't say it. And I think Rosie was awesome she called she mentioned it uh after julian won the event on the boat interviewing julian she was like hey there was a that hassle paddle battle gabe looks like he blocked you whatever she didn't say blocked but she implied it and julian just goes you know what we're gonna leave that in the water he's like well, that's good at least at least that tells you that it's true like he didn't deny it and go oh no no we're bros we were talking out there and everything was cool we were talking about sandwiches we're gonna eat for lunch or but, whatever but that's where i look at legacy as you know what julian hold your head high not only did you beat him with surfing but you persevered the kind of sneaky tactic and then had an opportunity to call Gabriel out on it, and you didn't even acknowledge it, and you said we're going to leave it in the water. Yeah, he and took I was, the high road. That was classy, and, and I Gabriel, agree. That's awesome. And then Gabe cries on the podium. You know what I mean? So it's like I'm looking at legacy, going not necessarily the way the surf world will view you, but how do you just want? Well, what were his emotions? What? Why was he emoting tears on? Like I'm okay with emotion. Was it? Yeah. Why I guess was I am he crying? Because he got second. Probably. Whatever. You know what? Let him emote. Yeah. That means he's passionate. I'm down with that. Yeah. I'd much rather have that than, you know, oh, well, what's for the buffet? I can't wait to go eat. You know, like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. want somebody that's that into cares. it. Totally. Yeah. 
Well, I was thrilled to see Gabe get backhanded by Julian. Remember how I think last episode we said, "Hey, how long is it going to be before Rip Curl replaces Alana Blanchard with the surf <laughs> with the surf girl du jour?" Yeah. You remember when we were talking about that? Like yeah. it's, the marketing team over there's got to be going, "Oh crap, she's pregnant." What it do was, we yeah. do? It was in reference to her being pregnant. Right. And we're like, "Well, they could offset the loss of bikini sales." By creating infant clothing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which doesn't seem to have happened because no sooner did I say that than like the next day, yeah. I see Nikki Van Dyke is yeah. the new Alana Blanchard. They've yeah. got her in some great marketing, super sexy, sweet, a great surfer, smoking hot, looks great in a bikini. Nikki Van Dyke is our new Alana Blanchard. Of course, Alana Blanchard, our new Anna Kornikova. It's all, uh, it's all happening right before our eyes. It's as if we knew. Well, I think that they just took your lead. Obviously, we fixed the WSL's problems. We fixed Nikki Carol Alt's yes. problems. Right. And Nikki now Van you're Dyke. fixing Rip Curl's problems. And Nikki Van Dyke is filling in fat and in a great I, way. It's funny that you even said that because I saw her at Active Culture in San Clemente two years ago during the Lowers event. I walked in there to grab lunch, and um, she walked in, and I was like, is that a lot? That's like, you know, like sometimes you see people in – Hollywood and they just look different in real life than they did on the big screen. And so you're trying to kind of accommodate for that separation or that difference. That's what I was doing with her. I was like, it looks like Alana. She's got all the same. She's wearing all rip curl. Like that, that might be Alana, but it doesn't quite look like Alana. It was Nikki Van Dyke. Ah, So she faked me out with her Alana. Maybe they actually brought her on the team originally with this all in mind, like five years ago. They're hedging on be, knowing hey, Alana is going to age out. Well, so. they know, you know, like who's the neck, who's going to replace Nikki? It's just a four or five year stint, maybe an eight year stint. They're at the NSSAs right now, <laughs> looking at the Menahuni division. Yeah, exactly. Man, hey, this um, is creepy. I've got some breaking news. Hit it. This just came across the wire. Okay. The World Surf League, WSL, has appointed Joseph Carr as the chief strategy officer and head of international. A highly regarded sports industry executive. Is, this underscores the WSL's commitment to expanding its footprint as a global sports and entertainment property. Um, what do we know about Carr? Well, he's a lifelong sports fan, he says. I've had the opportunity to witness the WSL's impressive growth over the last few years. It felt like a perfect time to join the organization and help further it alter and help further alter the landscape of sport through continued digital innovation and commitment to its athletes. Few sports have such a global and passionate fan base. I'm looking forward to blah, 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 blah. Hmm. Let's see. What Dude, has he done here? Is he a, um, does it say anything about him being a doctor? Cause I'm just Googling Joseph Carr, the sports psychologist. No, let's see. Was he a professional football player who died in 1939? <laughs> no, he was not. He was the UFC Ultimate Fighting Championships, UFC head of international and content. Carr crafted the UFC's international expansion strategy through new live events around the world, managed the UFC Fight Pass, helped lead largest buyout in sports history with the sale of the UFC to IMG. And he first joined UFC as a senior director of investment and strategy. Prior to UFC, Carr worked in private equity, which mm. means he's connected to international monies. Um, so cool. All this sort of 
backfills what we've been stating all along that it's my opinion that uh, Dirk Ziff, the guy, the money behind the, the WSL is on a trajectory to get this to a place where it's a business where they can open up the books to potential buyers and sell it and make some of his money back. The WSL will be sold within three to five years. Speaking of hot takes. The WSL will be sold probably within three years. Ziff just needs to get this thing to a place where he can go, hey, we're a viable business. It is now for sale. I'm out. I'd rather be, you know, a yeah. Nantucket playing, you know, pickleball with right. my wife. Right. Which is all good and dandy. And, I mean, the UFC background, I mean, that is a um – fantastic example to follow it is i think this could be a great hire to get this thing to it now interesting to get this thing to to a business to a viable business now interesting right that he sort of led this ufc fight pass which i'm assuming is a pay-per-view subscription model just based on the the marketing terminology Mm mm-hmm yeah, I'm not sure, actually. I don't he managed the organization's OTT service hyphen UFC fight pass. Hmm. OTT service. Any idea what that means? No. I'm looking up UFC fight pass right now. I'm sure it's a subscription-based model that we're all going to buy into yeah, shortly. Exclusive, <laughs> exclusive fights, shows. Yeah, it's a $7.99 a month um, front row seat to the MMA world. So. That makes a lot of sense. Hey, by the way, weren't we telling the WSL on this show that if they sold a $60 a year package to you and I, we would buy it to watch all the content? OTT, just, and I'm listening to you and I'm reading at the same time. You're right, we would. And we're going to be did. buying we, OTT. We're the one who I know, recommended we told this. Them. We told them, you got to do this. And they listened. Man. It's amazing. In broadcasting, over-the-top content, OTT, is audio, video, and other media content delivered over the internet without the involvement of a multiple system operator in the control or distribution of the content. Yep. Hmm. Yep. All right. We told them, and And they were listening. And now we're seeing all the signs of where this is going. It may even be that we dropped Joseph Carr's name over one of these podcasts, and you and I just forgot because we're so full of great ideas. Yes. Is that his name? Joseph Carr? <laughs> it, is, it is. I don't know. Um, there's actually a Joseph Carr winery, too, but I didn't think that was related at all. So breaking news yeah. right here. Awesome. Good stuff, man. Um, I knew you checking your emails during the show would eventually be a good pay thing. Off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> would eventually, like, yeah, the pro versus the con of you being distracted all the time I'm not would eventually outweigh. I like to call it multi- Multitasking, you're so good at it. Multibass. It's hard to, yeah. Basking. Um, I'm going to offer you the opportunity. You don't have to take this, but. (laughs) I'll tell you right now, I don't want this opportunity. (laughs) Go ahead. Um, You could be on the cutting edge, Scott. Like this, if you saying no to me is you saying no to yourself. Okay. Okay. No, I was just going to say, I watched that movie given the other night, which is the Amaya and Goodwin uh, film project. Would you like a review of it? You don't have to, if you don't want, but I've got, do I want a review? I've got a review. Do you want it? Sure. Okay. Sure, You're going to have to sit not? and listen because I wrote it, so I'm just going to read it. That's why. Is it short? No. Concise? I'm going to say it'll take me three minutes to read. Okay. Can you handle three? I'll minutes. check my email. Okay. Perfect. You're not caught up to snuff. So, do you remember when they were advertising this project? A trailer came out five years ago, but it was called The Goodwin Project. It was an awesome trailer. 
Like everybody was like, this is going to be amazing. And then they did like a Kickstarter eventually for it. And then it just kind of went away for five years. I was like, whatever happened to that? Well, it showed up on Netflix last month under a new title called Given. And I was like, oh, that must be. And so like I looked into it. I'm like, that is the same documentary project that they were advertising five years ago. Do you remember any of this or did you yeah, see Yeah, I remember this, all of it. Yeah, I remember okay. all of this. Okay, so I don't know if there was a production snap. Isn't their son named Given? That's exactly right. That's yeah. why it's renamed. Okay. I think I don't know if there was a production snafu or if the thing just lost its way. Unfortunately, whether it was me just projecting those concerns on the film or an actual truth, the film kind of reflects that. Um so it's now called Given after their, as you mentioned, toddler-aged son, because the story, the movie is told from his perspective, and it's actually narrated by the kid, Given. Wow. Seems like That's they just filmed a ton and then tried to figure out the narrative afterward. Uh, they decided to tell the story from Given's point of view. What's and the, the conflict? No, no conflict. No, we I'm have gonna, a huge problem. I'm going to get Houston, to Houston, we have a problem. I'm going to get to that. Okay. So they decided to tell the story from Given's point of view, and the narrative follows this fable that a Mayan once told Given about a large, a fish so large that wherever it swims, it creates big waves and shifts the tides. So the family goes on an around-the-world journey to catch the fish that the fable states, if you catch, you will have the spirit of the sea inside you. That's okay. the premise of the film as set forth in the first five minutes, uh, okay. which for me, I... I I was like, this is advertised as a documentary and a right. world traveling documentary, but now they're stuffing in this concept. Right. So given, felt forced. given the kid narrating the film feels completely contrived. Right. And I can't help but wonder if they've actually hired an actor to actually do it or if they just gave given a script that the director wrote, which, by the way, the director, Jess Bianchi, did write the narration for because it says it in the credits because four-year-olds don't say things like quote the underwater world is like a whole different universe you know what i mean yeah. like no they say it's wet the underwater world is exactly wet. so the contrived fable and scripted narration of given is actually accentuated by the few radio raw natural audio clips that they left in the film like there's a moment where a mayan is gutting a fish on the side of the boat and given is like genuinely concerned that the fish is going to flop back into the water and he's going to lose his dinner so a mayan explains to given that like hey i didn't want to get blood in the boat and so and i'm holding it really securely but given just even though he doesn't argue he looks very concerned as he's watching and <laughs> so hungry they, they yeah they leave that moment in and it's beautiful and right. it is it shows conflict that you're talking about right. and it shows a real moment between a father and a son and the, the father teaching the son something yeah and i thought to myself wow this is what the whole film should have been and i loved this raw moment this natural moment and it like i said only highlights and accentuates the falsehood of him narrating, right, you know, right. and the falsehood of the script. That's too bad. So it really is too bad. So those are the golden and true moments that accurately represent what I believe the good ones were really trying to convey with this film. The visuals are absolutely stunning, but it fails as a story and there's almost zero character development development. We hear nothing from Daisy Shane, or I guess Daisy Goodwin is her name now. Um, and almost nothing from a Mayan himself, himself, both who 
seem to me to be infinitely interesting human beings. The film is most successful when it gives us a taste of local culture, when they show how rubber is made from trees in Thailand. They cut the trees and bleeds out and like, or how families in South Africa build handmade drums. And each family is responsible for one tone that gets passed down from generation to generation. These are examples of success. Or I think those were examples of like, this could have been a Nat Geo style documentary with a family, you know, telling the story along. That would have been a great, great film to watch. There's also some examples of successful visual narrative or just nonverbal narrative, like with the family living in this bus in New Zealand, showing how they bathe the kids, how they eat, how they hunt, cooking. Like that's a day in the life that was super interesting, just told through visuals. But sadly, the film zips through most of that stuff. Like I was 10 minutes in and they were four countries in. And I was like, Oh my god! I how, long, how long is the film? Uh, one hour and fourteen minutes, seventy-four minutes. So, I just felt like they spent ten thousand dollars in production money, probably going to Israel, and then they showed three minutes of it. You know, like, and I got nothing out of Israel. So, I feel like either leave it out or fully develop the story. Ultimately, like with the act of surfing itself, the subject matter is just so stunning to look at that the film may be worth viewing on a completely cursory level, and it certainly serves as an incredible memento for their family vacation that they took. Unfortunately, in this golden era of documentary filmmaking, you and I have talked about Muscle Shoals. We've talked about Beware Mr. Baker. This documentary does not stand alongside those, and... It also doesn't deliver on the promise that its trailer gave us five years ago. It could have been a coming-of-age tale for the boy, which would have certainly required a conflict and a resolution, like you said. It could have been this Nat Geo-style examination of culture. It could have been a character study of a father and a, mo- a mother um, who are interesting enough people to take their kids around the world. Like I want to know why they did that, but it wasn't any of that. What it was was a cinematic marvel that lacked in character development so significantly that I didn't even care why we were on this 15-country journey in the first place. And what's worse is that it kept reminding me uh, that it kept reminding me that I didn't care about that detail because they kept referring to this story about a big fish which I thought was completely contrived, you know, this big fish that they're trying to chase, even though they spent five minutes in Nepal where there's no ocean, you know? So the, but the fish, isn't the fish just representative of the journey? Like, isn't the fable that, Hey, if you catch the fish, what's the, what's the fable again? If you catch the fish, what happens? You imbibe the spirit of the sea. Right. So when you told me that initially, couple minutes ago i was like okay so if you catch the fish really what they're what's going to get passed on to the sun is it's not really catching the fish it's it's the fishing they call it fishing not catching mm-hmm. and it's the idea of the journey like the, the vibe that i was getting was oh okay this is about it's the journey stupid you know not the end of the journey not what you get at the end of the journey is that did they ever clarify any of that was did yeah they ever there's, explain what there's did they a catch the fish he catches a fish and but the fish no like no because it is what you said there's a there's a paragraph of dialogue that given narrates at the end that is kind of that it sums it's kind of that but i feel like it lost its way throughout the film like 
and and it feels like a manufactured fable. I didn't hear that fable growing up. Did you? <laughs> no, like, if you said no. this is the story of Little Red Riding, okay, I can relate to that. We've all heard that. This just felt like, again, they filmed for five years and then thought, how do we create a narrative? Well, let's come up with a fable and let's tell it from Given's point of view, although it wasn't really shot from Given's point of view. The only thing that's from Given's point of view is the narration in this fable. Yes. It's applied after the fact. Here, in the end... I'm not regretful that I spent 74 minutes watching the film, the cinematography and the just being able to witness the beauty and the happiness of the Goodwin family validated that time that I invested. What I am regretful for is that the filmmakers working in the surf space don't do a better job telling our stories. Who is a Mayan? His dad actually in the film was a super interesting character that I'd love to know. Who is Daisy? Why did they actually take their young family on this trip? And what lessons did they learn from this trip? Those are the stories I would be interested in hearing. Well, interesting take there. You have, That's a great review, by the way. Thanks for saying that. Always well thought out. Thank um, I have been a part of an absolutely horrible surf movie where I was brought in halfway through and they're like, we've got all this great footage. We don't know what to do. I want to tell a story. Can you write the story for us? And I'm like, yeah, okay. And so that sounds like what happened here is that somebody came on board late into the thing and said, we've got to make a story out of all this footage. What do we do? And you basically, you're in a no-win situation as a storyteller. You have to, you're, you know, you're given these resources of the, the film that was shot, the video that was shot, and you've got to slam a square into a round hole right and it never comes out good and that sounds like i'm just assuming that that's what happened here and it's unfortunate but um i'm glad that there were some redeeming qualities to the film you know i want to get behind everything in the surf world and just promote it and be like yeah it's amazing but i think that we'd be doing ourselves and and the 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 craft of filmmaking itself and injustice it's to do that spinal tap that's for damn sure definitely not not a masterpiece <laughs> no um and so i feel like you know i saw kelly slater instagram about it and be like I did too. the film's amazing yeah. and i'm like kelly i mean i know they're your friends and so you want but it's not actually an amazing film it's beautiful to look at but yeah. it's not an amazing film yeah. like i mentioned muscle shoals beware mr baker these other films that are fascinating because the characters and the conflict and yeah. the story and like they had so much raw content here to tell a beautiful story or an interesting story or i mean imagine all the conflict involved with taking your young family around the world and the challenges that you encounter and how do you finance that and how like there's so many interesting details that they didn't even try to tell instead they manufactured this idea of this fable and like let's tell it from the kid's point of view which to me again felt contrived like how do you get a kid to read 60 minutes of narration you know he did not want to do that you got to force the kid to sit down and do it which now i'm just thinking like could you say that again please given this time put a little bit more of emphasis on the word love you know you know so as the viewer i'm just thinking to myself like dude come on guys tell me the real deal like anyway um i i've had listeners email about the film actually and say that they were disappointed i had somebody email say they loved it and i should watch it but that's my take on it whatever take it for what it's worth it's free on netflix so you can watch it yeah go watch it yeah it's funny though that you say you know my i have a really dear friend who's who's always going nobody ever questions kelly slater like he it's just like whatever comes out of his mouth is just like okay it sounds like a good idea now you earlier brought up a great point that look kelly's the first person to say hey you know what um maybe i was wrong and i'm gonna go out on social media and say i was wrong and yeah 
and you know change my view on it and change my opinion on it. So I don't agree with my friend. I think that Kelly does is questioned perhaps more than any other perhaps, by yeah. by especially by social media where there's a lot of Kelly haters out there and Kelly's the first one to engage them. So yeah. it's kind of a bummer. But yeah. Anyway, um, great review. Thanks. I've got a question for you. Okay. Be Durbage, retiring. Mm-hmm. This is a good thing. <laughs> for, the, for us. Wait, wait for it. Wait for it. For the Australian surfers, uh, as he is taking on a new role as the elite program manager for Surfing Australia. And he's going to be working with the best Australian surfers and their coaches heading into the 2020 Olympics. And I read this and I thought to myself, damn, the Australians are going to kick our ass. And I think they are. And who? I think this is a great hire. I think B. Durbage is an, a fantastic hire. He's well-spoken. He's kind of got it, that, that Australian awk charm. You know, he's a bit of an awker, you know, and, but he's well-spoken. And he's a great athlete. He did 13 years on tour. Um, and, and he's a guy that's engaged in competitive surfing. And my question to you is, who's, is the U.S. surf team going to win a gold medal? Are they going to beat, beat Durbage's team? And by the way, we want that to happen. You know, let's get a little nationalistic at the risk of sounding like Breitbart news. Yeah. Um, is the USA going to... So who's, who's your short list for coaches for the 2020 Olympic team? I've got one here. I'm kind of interested. Do you have some names that pop into your head? Let's see if they match up with what I have. Number one on the list is Mike Parsons. Okay. I just interviewed Chris Gallagher. Yep, he's Who's on my list. Jordy Smith's coach. Yes. So he would be on it. Yes. Um, those are the only two I could think of. Oh, Joey Baran. Joey Baran. Right? He's coaching now. Is he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I didn't that's a good one. He's right. on the I, I think he's ISA team's coach. Like Ryan Simmons stepped down and Joey Baran stepped up. Okay, because Ryan Simmons is my my number one guy. Number one guy. Yeah, he's okay. my number one guy. Did you see him rip that wave at Northside yesterday? He, he absolutely rips. No, like literally he posted an Instagram of him, uh, Surfline Cam Rewind on Northside. Freaking. No, but I've interviewed him on this show before yeah. when it was not the show, but another show. Yeah. yeah. Shall we remain nameless? Name it. I'm, and, it's all good. Um, and he, and he was, uh, and I've known Ryan for a while and he's, he's just, uh, he seems very engaged as a coach. And I like the fact that he's not one of these name guys that he wasn't on your list, you know? Yeah. Um, now I, I know him personally. I'm, I'm a fan and I agree with everything you're saying. I, I agree with all your takes too. Chris Gallagher makes tons of sense. I have Mike Parsons on here. Um, I have one, and one that might interest you. What about Peter Mel? He coaches his son. He's totally engaged in competitive surfing. He totally gets it. He's respected. I know it's kind of a an outlier, but I was thinking to myself as I made this list. I thought, you know, Peter Mel might not be a. He might be a great. Might be coach. Like. Here's the reason why I'm apprehensive to sign off on that and even answer your initial question. I don't know what makes a great coach. I really don't because Glenn Hall, I would have argued to you, don't hire that guy. He was the bottom rung surfer on tour for a couple of years, barely hanging on by a thread. So he's not going to be a good coach. But then he goes on to coach Tyler to a world title. Matt Wilkinson revitalized his complete career. He's now working with Owen Wright, who won the first event of the... Like, it's like he is well, the best coach. Here's a great... And by the way, B. Durbich coached John John last year, the year that John John won his world title. So, Bede 
Good turns point. out is a phenomenal coach. We didn't know that. Okay, here's a question for you. Does the USA coach have to be from the USA? Can mm. we hire Glenn Hall? Good point. Because they do that in the Olympics and soccer. They we've got like, you know, Danish coaches and coaches from who you know, who knows where they're from. There's no rule against Names it. Names like Ulrich and stuff like that. Yeah, there's no na- rule against it for sure. So we so could we hire could. Glenn Hall. We should. That would be fascinating. Bring him. We need to jump because they already put their money behind Bede. Let's take Glenn. I think that would be kind of interesting. However, yeah, as long as he's, you know, I, that would be a tough move for Glenn Hall to make, to just burn the Australian flag and wave the American one. That would be interesting. Well, now, money talks. Take into account, who are you going to be coaching? Right. Two people, two surfers, perhaps four, two women, two men, Right. That's assuming the women's team qualifies. You have to qualify. So let's just say that it's two two men, two women. So you're only coaching four people, maybe five, because there'll be an alternate for each. Maybe let's say six. Who are these people you're going to be coaching? Kanoa, John John Florence, and Chloe Andino. So that begs a question. Hawaii is obviously included in America. Absolutely. In the Olympics. There's no doubt Not in pro surfing, obviously. Not in pro surfing, but in the Olympics. So, yeah, you got John John for sure. Kaloe and Kanoa. But does Kanoa compete for Japan? He might. And if he does, he shall forever be banished from this show. I agree. That is bullshit. You're either American or you're Japanese. But you can come over and coach for us if you want. When he's... 40. No, not Kanoa specifically, <laughs> but I'm saying another na- nation. Well, it bring, can that come brings coach up all of these. But you can't go coach for anybody of, else. No, you can't. If Galley goes to coach, if Galley goes to coach for Australia, Galley's off too. Yeah, for anybody, but yes. Any, you can come any this American way. American goes, yeah, you can come this way. You can't go the other way. We can way. import, we can't export. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. We're glad we solved that. Exactly. <laughs> so, I, so I'd go John John and Chloe would be my two picks for the U.S. Okay, I agree. Well, we don't pick them. They get. They get. Um, they have to go Qualify. through qualifying. Yeah, but I get to pick them. Yeah, well, we we do get to pick them, and I love John John and Chloe. I think yeah. that's a, those are the two, right? Yeah. Um, but that's four years away, right? No, so it years. could be Griffin Colapenta. Who? You know, I'm just coming up with like who's going to be next to qualify from the U.S. In two years, you think Griffin Colapinto is going to be more have more competitive savvy than John John and Chloe? No. Not you think he's going to be a better surfer? Do you think he's going to be in the top 10 on the WCT in two years? No. 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 Don't even go there. Okay? Right. Don't be bringing Jack Freestone and Carlos <laughs> Muniz and Matt Did you see him serve the US Where the Open? hell is Matt Banty? Like, Could you please find out what he's doing? Like, Where is he? Like, is- I think he um, tore a ligament two years ago, and so he's still recovering. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Poor guy. Look, I have nothing but um, positive vibes from <laughs> hey, Matt Banty. I'm just saying. Those like, injuries, dude. You yeah. got to nurse that knee back to health. And who will be the Australian team? Um, who will Bede be coaching? Yeah, I mean, I would say Mick, but he won't at that point, probably. Shoot. Well, you got to figure Julian. Jules would be a good pick for sure. Julian Wilson and... <sighs> will the South African team even qualify? Jordy Smith and... <laughs> no. Michael February is the next is he tier South I African? think. Yeah. That would be cool. That guy's actually worthy. Australia. So Australia, you could go Wilco, okay, Owen Wh- Wright. Okay, it'd be Owen and Julian or Owen and Wilco. Yeah. That makes sense, right? Yeah. Connor O'Leary would be a name oh, at that that's point. That's actually a good one. Because he's really proving himself. Yes, he year. is. And in two years, who will be kind of a, his prime. Right. If he hangs on, if he doesn't have a horrible sophomore season. But yeah. So well, those are kind of interesting questions, like things that we need to start thinking about. Yeah, yeah. 
what the team looks like, Who's what the coach looks like, the process of all that. Of course, this year in France and next next month, this month, next month, October, October, they have the trial run of what the qualifying will look like. Then in eighteen, the following year, they will have the trials. Then the team will be set, and in nineteen and twenty, they'll be training for the team. Yeah. Um, the Olympics. A thought about Pete Mel real quick that needs to be discussed. Okay. I've been prodding him on Instagram a little bit. Does he reply to you? No. Yeah. I didn't actually tag him. Right. But <laughs> I've just been pitching it to listeners. He believes in the secret. It, through this whole event in, do you know the secret, that book that came out and then a documentary came out? The whole premise of the secret was like, if you believe it hard enough, you can man- manifest it to happen. It wasn't religious. It was just like say om enough and meditate on it. And some they interview some guy in the film and he's like, you know, I used to only get bills in the mail. And I just started thinking, I would love for checks to show up instead of bills showing up. Well, three months later I got my first check. You know? <laughs> and like and what they don't tell is like he also started a home business and like worked 80 hours a week for those three months, you know? So they don't tell those gritty details, but they're like, it's all about manifesting these things. And so Pete Mel throughout the whole event is like, you know, there's some guys who can will waves into their kind of, uh, John, John shows up. Tom Kern's been notorious for that. John, John shows up, the rain stops, the light comes out and he gets these crazy barrels that weren't even out there before. And he's like, Oh, it's the secret. And then later in the event, he said it again. He's like, yeah, it's kind of the secret. You know, you got to make things happen. You got to capital S or yes. Okay. You got to, you got to make, uh, think of positive, the power of positive thinking, like all this stuff. And I'm listening going, okay, I know he's just referencing that book and maybe he's just doing it in jest. But I think Pete Mel believes it. I think he's studying the text. I think the there's text. some truth to the power of positive thinking. I absolutely believe that. Yeah. Call it what you Hey, will. listeners, Scott believes in the secret. <laughs> oh, the secret you're study- of the You're studying the text as well at home? No, no. I, I, know, think, but- I think Pete has the actual scroll. Like, Is there a like, scroll? Like it's, I think he bought the book. Burnt and edges it, around the paper? He bought the book and then stitched each page together and then rolled it into a scroll. Oh, that's epic. And then reads it by candlelight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with a hot cup of tea. Pete, hashtag the secret. All right. Well, that's, that's it. That's a good way to end the show. Well, I also have a kook. All right, my kook was Gabriel. I've got a duke and a musty moment if you want it. Yeah. Um, you said you were looking for a musty moment the other day. Did you ever find one? It wasn't Mikey Wright because you decided not. <laughs> no, no. Can my musty moment be a moment that I didn't actually watch? <laughs> Mikey not. Wright and Hoot. I mean, Root. <laughs> Root in reference to rooting a chick. Oh, that's, that's, what, that's, that's what that'll That's so lame. Yeah. That is so 17-year-old. Which, again, that's the whole marketing kind of ploy of this whole thing. Exactly. So my musty moment is um, – a surfer, underrated surfer in the U.S., maybe Australia loves him, but Asher Pacey just released a new edit called Water Over Sand. He's riding a fish with a yeah. bat tail, which I hadn't actually ever seen before. And the film was made by Matt Kleiner, who's a guy that I like his work. Is there a fable? No fable in this <laughs> <No>. one. <laughs> Strictly surfing. And another thing I don't love is just all slow-mode surfing. But I will say... Asher Pacey is a phenomenal surfer. He had a couple of clips in the new film, Snapped 3, one of which I'll post, where he's actually nose-riding this barrel at Kira, or at the Superbank, but the Kira section. 
dude, it's so radical on a fish like drives. And then as soon as he gets the high line and all the speed as it starts to barrel, walks up to the nose and hangs five on like a five something fish and through the entire barrel, like and comes out the end. It's freaking radical. So Asher Pacey is my must see moment. Both clips, um, the snap three and then the water over sand edit. I know I saw that. It's amazing. Um, so that's my must see moment. My actual Duke is a moment is somebody who I've kooked in the past on this show. I've yes. called him a kook. Yes. He's been transitioned to Duke. That is <laughs> Strider Wasselruski. What did you say his last name was? Wasselruski. Wasselruski. Is that what it is? Wasselruski. Wasselruski. Strider Wasselruski. Yeah. The raspberry. The right. raz. The reason why Strider is my Duke is he's come like a long way in his commentating career. Like he's grown by leaps and bounds. I think he's a much better commentator now than he ever was in the past at the U S open. It stood out to me because they actually had him in the booth for a lot of it, as opposed to just sitting in the channel, but he did a phenomenal job there. And then he translated that in Tahiti. I thought he did a great job. And what pushed it over the top for me is he got a wave between the semifinal and the final with his commentating gear on with the microphone, with the backpack and all of it got shacked at Chopu. It was radical. Did you see the clip? Well, dude, yeah, no, but I've Strider absolutely is the man out there. Have you, there's footage of him I know. probably 10 years ago or more when he was a little younger. Totally. But he's still doing it. Oh yeah. No. And he's guy's, sitting, guy's he's a great sitting, surfer. He's sitting in the channel for eight hours on like not getting to his feet, just sitting there in the water. It was raining. He's got all that gear on. And then the moment he gets a chance in between the semi and the final, he paddles over into the zone and gets an eight foot shack. That's it's, so cool. It's radical. Strider's my Duke. I'll post that clip as well. Oh, you know where I'm going to post it, Scott on Instagram at surf splendor. What's your Instagram at boardroom show very good <laughs> and good job for remembering that <laughs> and carol alt um and then spitpodcast.com will have all of the musty moments the dukes and kooks all the videos we discussed i'll even throw a trailer for given on there because you should probably consider watching it if you love beautiful visuals I've got, I've got a strider story i'll tell you real quick let's hear it i was on a trip with strider and some other guys we were going to indonesia and we we're on our way back and and i was and Jeff Devine and I are pretty good buddies, and we used to always, whenever we went on trips together, we would always be like, let's make sure we get good seats. Because we're a little older, and we're like, we got to get good seats. we got to get the aisle with the, you know, the leg room and all that. And so there's like 10 of us on this surf trip, right, for Surfer Magazine. And, and Devine and I are two of them, and, and we're constantly going, okay, when we get to the counter at the airport, let's just you and I go up there and... Forget the rest of these guys. Let's just make sure we get our seats. You know what I mean? And, and so we're in line and like Strider and some other guys are behind us, some of the pros. And they call us up and Jeff and I like run up to the counter, you know, and we throw our passports out. and We're like, yeah, we want these seats. And, and Strider's like, hey, what about us? Like, aren't we going to check in as a group? You know, and Jeff and I are like, yeah, just wait your turn. <laughs> and Strider was just so disappointed in how selfish I was behaving, which I was. I was being yeah. very selfish. It was not cool. Like I'm not proud of the way I acted at this moment. Yeah, I'm just giving you some insight into into my character that I, I have flaws, and one of them is selfishly wanting to get a really good seat on a ten hour, eighteen hour airplane flight. Also. 
these punk kids or pro surfers are going to get to surf the entire trip. I'm here to work. So <laughs> I need the comfy seat. Ever since then, because Strider made a point of just going, dude, you, I can't believe like you're being like a prick like that. You know, like he made a point of just like kind of calling me out and going, yeah. that's lame. Yeah. You know, and he was kind of right. Yeah. And so ever since then, I don't think Strider's liked me too much, but I will say he's doing a really, he's doing a much better job on the commentary. And, you know, there's, it's, it's gotten a little better. There's still some moments where it seems forced, but um, he's doing good. I mean, probably can't get anybody too much better than that. I don't know. I always in, thought in you could. I always thought Todd Klein well, was yeah, no, completely you, underutilized. I just mean like say, if you take the last event, for example, it wasn't that bad. What do you mean? His commentary? Yeah. Like, no, I think it's good. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it's, I agree. He's gotten very, very good. He used to not be able to string a sentence together. Right. Like in year one, year two that he was on, I literally was like, I cannot believe they're keeping this guy on staff. He stumbles over his words. He, um, like he actually has a limited vocabulary or what it seemed to be. But now he's actually just fallen into his stride. No pun intended. It seems as if he's worked on it. Maybe he has. Yeah, yeah. And the work's paying off. And it's like, I guess... I think originally he was trying to maybe um, keep pace with someone like Ronnie Blakey, who has a little bit larger vocabulary. And now he's not trying to. He's just going with what he knows, which is a lot of surf jargon. And by the way, that's perfect. It actually works really, really well for what he's doing. So he's saying really funny, I mean, silly, irreverent stuff like, oh, he's putting the mayo on the sandwich or whatever. You know, I don't think that was one of them. But it's like Blakey would never say that. And I feel like Strider tried to keep that out of his kind of, I don't know, commentary for yeah. a long time. And now he's just embraced it and yeah. he's great at it. Yeah. That, that is his strength. So yeah. I'm a big fan. Strider. However, when the WSL changes its tour, Paul, you know, it's changing. When we go to the new paradigm, we're going to have to trim. We're going to have to be a lot more fleet on our feet. We're going to have to move quickly. And the broadcast component of the, it's still going to be a great broadcast, but we're going to have to eliminate some positions. That's just the yep. fact because we're trimming everything so that we can be agile. Yeah. We can't be this big plundering elephant. We have to move like a cheetah. I agree. I like it. Did you catch that, Joseph Carr and Sophia Goldstein? Or what is that her name? Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt. Sophie. So- Sophie? <laughs> Do you know her? Like, <laughs> is it Sophia or Sophie? Look, we had drinks. That's all. Okay. Oh, okay. And that's uh, why you're growing the beard. Yeah, exactly. Trying to look older, more sophisticated, you know? By the way, Scott and I are cheetahs. So, WSL, if you need us in the channel, calling it, I, we're here for you. Absolutely. We are here for you. Absolutely. Cheetahs that like to get I'm a in professional the water. broadcaster. I'm on the air twice a day on KPBS Radio in San Diego. It's quite the resume. Every day for 11 years. I know. It's impressive. It's a lot of broadcast work. <laughs> Hire me. I would love to do broadcast That's for the a lot WSL. of talking. That is a lot of blathering on. Blah, blah, anyway. Blah. Yeah. Scott, okay. always a pleasure. Yeah. Until next time. Adios and aloha.